Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. Amen. You know, we should have known that God had something special for us today, huh? Doesn't he always? But this... I love it when he throws us off script and just moves and tugs on our hearts, and there's always breakthrough, isn't there? Amen. So we are going to jump into the Word. Uh, I've actually got a lot for you today. Isn't that how the Lord works? I mean, I've got a sermon that I was like, I hope, I, hope I don't run late with it. And, uh, you know, we're, I was already thinking about putting this into a sermon series, so we might just have to go for it. We are finishing today our study in Ephesians. We have been going chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the book of Ephesians for the last several weeks. This is actually message 12 in this series that I thought was probably going to be about six. So uh, it has been very rich and rewarding, and I hope that for me it has been, so I I hope and pray that it has been for you guys as well. Uh, Right off the bat, can I see our first sermon tile if we haven't gotten there already? This is the last Ephesians message. It is welcome to the new you, welcome to the new you from dark to light. You were once in darkness, but now God has brought you, he has made you light itself. The outline that we've been going through looks like this. The first three chapters that we went through were all about finding your identity in Christ. We talked a little bit about that in our Foundations series that we did this past Wednesday night online. So if you missed that, I encourage you to watch that because really the first three chapters and last Wednesday's message go hand in hand. So if you haven't seen it, please check it out. But Paul wanted to make sure that we viewed ourselves the way God views us. And that's what it comes down to. Do you view yourself the way God the Father looks at you? You understand that when he looks at you, he sees your sins as paid for. When he sees you, he sees that it is finished. Amen? Now, when we see us too often, and even as Christians in the church that believe in Jesus, we believe he died for our sin, we believe he rose from the grave, we put our hope and our trust in him for salvation, all of it, we still, when we look at ourselves or think of ourselves, we see the sin that we are and or have done. And it makes us feel unworthy to even be in the Lord's presence. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Be here so often we don't even ask because we don't feel worthy of his presence. We don't feel worthy of his favor. And we certainly don't feel worthy to work for him as an ambassador, a representative of the king here in this place. We don't feel like it should be us because we know what we've done, don't we? We know what we've thought. We know how we've failed and all of that. Well, guess what? This is what Paul strove so hard to communicate to you. When God sees you, he doesn't see those things. He sees the righteous robe of Jesus Christ. Amen? Because all your failings, all the sin that's in your flesh, by the way, even the Apostle Paul said, uh, said in Romans that what I don't want to do, I do, and what I do want to do, I don't do. Who will save me from this body of death? 
So even Paul, who wrote this, understood all too well the struggle that we have in getting our minds right. And that's why he says over and over, time and time again, renew your mind, wash it with the word of God. Amen? So he goes, <laughs> goes through three chapters of this letter and says, this is who you are now. Get that here because you'll never step into your destiny and you'll never accomplish for God what he wants you to accomplish here until you see you the way that he sees you. Then he moves on and says through uh, chapters four through six, he says, now that you get that, because we all get it now, right? We spend a lot of time on it. Uh, it's, a, it's a daily struggle. Don't think I'm not sympathetic, all right? Then he moves on, chapters 4 through 6, and he says, now that you are saved, now that you are his, now that he has paid your debt, we've got some responsibilities. Out of gratitude for what he has done for us, it's only reasonable that we would want to do, do some things for him in the kingdom of God, right? As a matter of fact, when he seals our heart, when we believe, Paul told us, our hearts are transformed, sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's in that moment that your desires start changing. That what I don't want to do, I do. That what I do want to do, I don't do. That's in there. Now you want to do things you didn't want to do before, and you don't want to do things that you did want to do before. Make sense? Okay. Now there's a desire in your heart to walk into these good works, and Paul lists them. Here's what it should look like. Here's what we should endeavor towards. That doesn't, a lot of people or legalistic preachers will take four through six, and they'll throw these expectations on you as if, if you don't do them, somehow you're not saved or going to lose your salvation, and it's a lie, okay? These are just reasonable things that Paul wants us to walk into and do as somebody who has been saved and is now a member of the family. Look, we've got to always remember this. We are now in the family of God through Jesus Christ, okay? So even if I mess up, I'm still in the family, right? If my kids don't obey me, and trust me, that happens from time to time, they're still my kids, understand? And they're still welcome in my home, understand? So, with all of that being said, we have, moved, we have moved through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, to get to this point, and, and this is probably the most famous chapter of all of the study of Ephesians, and I think it's truly fitting. Leith, when, when he was led by the Holy Spirit a minute ago to give his testimony of this weekend, said, we need, to, we need to put on the armor, right? I don't even know if he even knew that's what we're talking about today. So that's right on time. Amen? The reality is this, church. If you, haven't, if you haven't figured this out yet, we are in a war. Whether you, uh, are, whether you are fighting him or not, Satan is fighting you. Whether you're fighting him and realize it or not, he is working against you, fighting you. Satan is trying to take us out of the game. You understand we're here to be ambassadors of Christ, representatives of our king in a foreign land, strangers in a strange land. We're here to advocate for the positions of our king, and Satan doesn't want you in the game. He's trying to take you out. And there are many different ways that he comes at us. Some, he's convinced that 
that he doesn't exist. Some think that Satan, does, he's not even real. It's just an idea, right? Other people, he comes at them with temptations. He comes at them with circumstances. And by the way, he loves to use people as well. He loves to attack us with other people. And he is certainly working overtime right now because I believe that the hour is late and I believe that he knows that the hour is late and he is on borrowed time. Is anybody else seeing this? Lately, I mean, doesn't it feel like he has just slammed on the gas pedal lately? It sure does. And he's not one to let a good crisis go to waste either, by the way. You know, the Fabian socialists, the Rahm Emanuels of the world, they always say we can't let a good crisis go to waste, right? Well, they're just speaking the language of their father. Let's just be honest. Hmm. It's a favorite saying, though, of most serious Christians, though, that if you're not, or that if you're being fought, let me say it this way, if you're being fought, it simply shows that you're doing something right. Amen? So I want to do two things today. I want to, through studying the scripture and other scriptures, we're going to move around a little bit after Ephesians, after we're done with Ephesians 6, God willing. I want to expose the enemy. Here's our goals. I want to expose the enemy, and I want to equip you for the fight. And we're going to go through four necessary battle strategies. So if you note-takers, you're going to love this. You get all these points. The note-takers always love point one, point two, point three, right? We're going to get some of that today, all right? Point one, in this battle, in this struggle, we need to be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll get there in a second. We're still going to go line by line through that. But Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, the Christian standard Bible reads, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. That really harkens back to Exodus chapter 14, chapter 14 verse 14, which says this, The Lord shall fight for you. The context here is Egypt. He's speaking to the Israelites. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. So even while the Egyptians are attacking God's people, they should, hold, they should still hold on to their peace. That means you have a peace in your heart. Do we really have peace in our hearts when we're getting attacked from all different sides? We can and we should, because this is God and this is God's character. All right? The Lord will fight for you, and you will hold your peace. We already know that just as perfect love casts out fear, so does light and truth expose darkness and deceit. Amen? We've been saying in our Wednesday Night Foundation series, we've been saying the best way, the best way to spot a lie is to know the truth already, right? So the truth is the light, and it exposes darkness and deceit. So be strong, hold your peace, Fight for your peace. You know, we need to fight for peace in our homes. I think too often we don't fight for that peace. I think a lot of times we're emotional creatures. A lot of times our own secu- in our, from our own place of our own insecurities, we allow offense to creep in, and we see it there. It's just hanging out there. We're so tempted to take that fruit, and we take it. <clears throat> when maybe we know better and the Holy Spirit is telling us, let it be. Fight for peace. Hold on for peace. That's petty. You're bigger than that. Fight for peace. Uh, But then we take it, don't we? And we need to fight to hold on 
to that peace and the peace in our homes. And another thing is we need to trust that he is right on time. Do you know that? There's a lot of fear and a lot of panic going around right now. We're talking about these vaccine mandates are on the table, says the president, right? Fake president. No, I'm sorry. Oh, the pastor's getting political again. Oh, no. I mean, there's a lot of fear, right? There's a lot of anxiety. What, I mean, I've got four kids. What are we going to do if they do something like that, right? The enemy wants you to panic, you have to understand. The enemy wants you to panic because when you panic, that's when you swing wildly, understand? When you hold your peace, you stay composed, and you fight the good fight, all right? Hold your form. It's like in those war movies. It's like in, it's in almost every war movie, when, like period pieces, when the two sides, the horses are charging each other. I mean, it's in every, almost, I mean, it's in Braveheart. It was in, I, think, I mean, you know, the horses are charging the lines, and they've got the secret spear in the grass, and they're like, hold, not yet, hold, hold. And then they pull it the last second. It's in almost every one of those movies. It must have been a great tactic. I don't know. But... Uh, we need to hold our peace, hold our form, steady now, and then just at the right time, all right? The Lord's going to spring a rapture on us, all right? <laughs> and point one would be strong in the Lord. The next thing we need to do is put on our battle gear, and this is where we're going to get back into Ephesians 6. So open your Bibles if you haven't yet to Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, we're going to read verse 11 all the way through the end, 23, I believe. <clears throat> Put on your battle gear. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Verse 10, where we left off last week, says, and by the last part of that sentence says, and by his vast strength. So if you're, in your, if you're in your word, maybe you'll see that. By his vast strength, can we go to the scripture? By his vast strength, Put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. Let's just read through the whole thing and then we're going to go back through it and take it apart. Put on the full armor of God so that you can, maybe the most important phrase of the whole scripture right there, so that you can, suggesting if you don't, you can't, right? Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. The King James Version here says, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. There is a darkness in this age that we are in, and that's why Paul was so good to say, you are light, not you are in the light. No, you are the light, because this age is full of darkness, and you are the actual light in the dark place. Verse 13, for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may, there it is again, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand, stand. That does this a couple times in the scriptures. Everything to, everything to take your stand, verse 14, stand. 
Therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, verse 15, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace, verse 16, in every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Is your sword sharpened, people? Verse 18, pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance in the and intercession, perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Verse 19, pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Amen. Let us all pray that and pray that for each other. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Remember, he's in prison when he's writing this whole letter to us. And he's asking for boldness. Let's keep reading. Verse 21. Tychius, our dearly loved brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me so that you may be informed. Verse 22. And I am sending him to you for this very reason, to let you know how we are, and to encourage your hearts. Keep going. Verse 23. Peace to you, brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that wraps up Ephesians. He gave us some advice there. The armor. Let's take it apart. Let's look at it. Can we see that next graphic? Here's the armor of God. Let's see this picture. Write it down if you don't have it. Belt of truth. The belt of truth. Keep the belt of truth fastened around you. What does the belt of truth do? What does truth do for you in your life? First things first, we said it a minute ago, right? Best way to spot a lie is to know the truth already, right? The belt of truth will protect you against false doctrine, false teaching, misleading you. These wolves that Paul talks so much about that will come and will come especially in this last time. So if we really think we're on time, boy, we should be seeing all kinds of bad teaching and bad doctrine all over the TV, shouldn't we? Are we seeing any of that? Lies cannot stand in the light of the truth. Do you understand that? Mm. You know, people that are hesitant to give their heart and their life to Jesus because they think they're holding on to something. They're holding on to a lifestyle. They're holding on to maybe some secrets that they don't even want to admit to themselves or to God. But there's nothing more liberating, liberating than speaking truth to lies. And that includes lying to yourself. You know that? Nothing more liberating than that. Interesting point of emphasis for me on this. Why is the belt truth? Why make the belt truth? Well, what does the belt do? A couple things. First of all, throughout the word of God, especially if you study in prophecy, the belt kind of holds your pants up, right? And what, what does the Bible talk about metaphorically often? When your shame is exposed, right? 
naked and ashamed, right? Not afraid, but the Bible uses that prophetically oftentimes. So the, the belt protects you, all right? Protects you, keeps you from falling for false doctrine and thus being ashamed due to your misled. It speaks to, uh, uh, speaks to uh, Paul's letter also uh, to Timothy where he t- tells him to uh, uh, rightly discern the word of God, therefore you won't be ashamed, right? Hold on to the truth. Also, another interesting thing about a belt, I don't know how many of you have ever put armor on, right? I haven't. But the belt kind of holds everything together and holds it up, doesn't it? So without the belt of truth, there's nothing to strap anything onto. Understand? The breastplate of righteousness was next. What's right here? Your heart. Your heart. Guard. How many times does it say in Scripture, guard your heart? right? Guard your heart. We know that the heart is deceitful above all things. We also know that it's our center. It's our core. With all our heart, we do things, which when we take that apart, actually, it means the core of all you are. Put the breastplate of righteousness here. Know in your heart, in other words, who and whose you are now. Righteousness. And we've done this A few weeks ago, we took apart the word righteousness, and you look at that in the Greek, what does it mean? It means that you are who you were created to be. I am now righteous in Christ. The righteousness of Christ is upon. In other words, the righteous man is who he was created. He is as as he was created to be. How are we created? To be in the Garden of Eden, sinless. We were created to be companions for God, Right? What is the number one thing that God wants from us? Relationship. That's why he made you. It's like, God, what do you want me to do with my life? I'm in a place of struggle. Well, first things first, if you're not in relationship with him, everything pivots from there. Start there. That's the first thing you were made for. Made to be, as you were made to be, we become righteous by the blood of Christ. In other words, we come back into good standing with God when we are righteous, take on that righteousness, know in your heart who you are, goes right in line with what he's already been talking about for the first three chapters, knowing it, seeing yourself as righteous as God sees you through his righteousness, feet fitted with the gospel of peace. His yoke is easy, church. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Let me tell you this. Somebody tries to put on a religion or a theology that isn't easy, that doesn't lift burden and deliver freedom onto you, you turn the other way and you run. Amen? Any wonder why it's the feet? The feet fitted with the gospel of peace. If they're trying to put on you a gospel that isn't of peace and doesn't bring peace, you turn the other way and you run. There's a lot of Jesuses out there right now, by the way. There's a lot of different Jesus. One man's Jesus says, you know, I was saved by the blood of the cross. I put my hope in the cross. I put my uh, hope in him for eternity. But now I've got to do X, Y, and Z to make sure I don't lose that salvation. Because if I'm not good enough, I'm not going to make it to heaven. 
That's not the gospel of peace. That's a different gospel than the gospel of Jesus of the Bible. All right? You are saved by faith alone, then we walk into good works because we desire to and because he's prepared them for us. Mm, I'll tell you what. You turn around and you run the other way. You know, plus when your feet are fitted in grace, when your feet are fitted in grace, you know it's not by your work that you're saved, but his. You know that you're a king's kid. It's by grace. We just studied that Wednesday night. You should feel confident walking into any room. You know that? Why? Because you're the king's kid. Guess who's coming with you when you walk into that room, whether it's for a job interview or if it's you're going to a party where you don't know anybody and you're in... Forget about it. You are the son or daughter of the Most High God. He favors you. Do you believe that God shows favor to his children? You know what? Favor? Favorite? You're his favorite. He loves you. Don't let it go to your head. In, in Arkansas, they say, don't get the big head, right? I'll pick that one up from my father-in-law. Don't get the big head now. You know, but most importantly, feet fitted with the gospel of peace, most importantly, the gospel needs to be carried everywhere. And you need to be carrying it with you everywhere you go. Everywhere you go. Mm. Shield of faith. The shield of faith, the most famous scripture in the Bible about faith, comes to us in Hebrews, right? Chapter 11, the chapter on faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Amen? Mm. Who in here has hung on to, to hope before, huh? Every one of us. I don't believe you if you didn't raise your hand. Faith is something that's beyond hope, we understand. Faith and hope are actually two different things. I don't, well, I'm really hopeful this is going to happen. That's not faith. It's not faith. It's like I, if I sit in that chair, I love to use this analogy. I'll use it again. I haven't used it in a few weeks, right? I believe this chair will hold me. I do. I really do believe it. But until I take the time, until I actually sit in it, I'm not putting any faith in that thing, am I? I don't need to. I don't need to put faith into it unless I want to sit down. But when I want to sit down, now I'm actually putting faith into something. I'm not just hoping that it's going to hold me, right? If I'm hoping it's going to hold me, I might test it out first, you know? No. When I, blindly, when I sit down, I'm putting my faith in it. That's faith and hope are two different things, all right? Faith is beyond hope. It is the evidence of why we should have hope. That's what it is. The helmet of salvation. It can be a fatal blow to to you eternally. Our minds can play tricks on us, can't they? Yeah? Somebody say, yeah, my mind has played tricks on me. I'm going to get you guys talking. Come on now. The sun's not shining. I'm going to need you to pump me full of some energy here. Our minds can play tricks on us. We've got to guard them. The helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. Amen? Sword of the Spirit, the rightly divided word of God is what that is. The word will fight your battles for you. You know that? And it will liberate you. You know, I was a call center manager for some years. A lot of you guys know this, right? 
And when I started at the company, they had no HR manual. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, what am I going to do? Everyone's going to hate me. So I wrote an HR manual probably about that thick. Why? Because when I need to hold somebody accountable for something or job performance or, you know, um, tardiness or, you know, whatever, what do you do? You point to the manual. You point to the book. Look, it's not me. It's the rules, right? I'm sorry I'm writing up. I'm sorry you're fired, but you knew the rules. Here they are. You signed the thing and everything, right? It's the way it is. So... The Word of God, I'm telling you, it'll fight your battles for you. Hey, you can be mad at me all day long. I tell you, people get mad at You know, I teach the Word of God in context. We go chapter by chapter, line by line. I joked last week. Maybe I shouldn't have, but I thought it was funny. That this is basically Paul's best effort to clear out a room, right? In successive chapters, four, five, and then the beginning of chapter six, he went after sexual immorality of all kinds, all kinds. Then the next week he goes after husbands and wives that, you know, here's how to have a healthy marriage. And, you know, basically I said, this is your chance to be offended and leave or stay and grow, right? But, but guess what I get to do? I, say, I get to say, hey, don't be mad at me. It's just the reference manual here, right? It's just, it's the word of God. And I'm not going to apologize for the word of God. So... It'll fight your battles for you in different situations. It'll fight your battles for you, whether it's trying to bring truth and correction to somebody, and it'll fight your battles for you when you bring the word of truth and grace to somebody who maybe thinks they know who Jesus is, and they don't want that Jesus. Guess what? If it's not the Jesus I know, I don't blame them. I don't want that Jesus either, right? But with the word of God, you can show them the real Jesus and the freedom that is there for freedom. Christ has set us free. Mm. It is the greatest weapon that we have against the enemy as well. So do you know how to wield it? Amen? We have to be students of our word. Hmm. You know, if we don't know how to wield it, let me just say this before I move on. The enemy will have a lot more success twisting it around on you. And that's what he loves to do, what false teachers love to do. They twist the word of God. They take things out of context. They infer different meaning on something else. And then they present it to you. And suddenly, you're questioning a lot, if not everything. Or questioning who God really is. Or questioning who you really are in the sight of God, which is Paul's Direct initiative on writing this whole letter to you guys. To know who you are, whose you are, and to walk and live that way. So these are, the, these are the armor pieces of God, and these are often the pieces that are so focused on, so focused on, but there's one last piece that often gets missed, which I think is probably the most important of them all, pray. And pray. Pray, he says. Put all of this on and then pray. Luke chapter 10, verse 19 reads, Behold, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. Serpents there, well accepted to be known as liars in the Greek culture, the Roman culture, and scorpions 
Those who poisonously sting you, I give you authority to trample on them. And over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So we're going to trample on serpents and liars, but we're not a snake-handling church, just to clear that up, right? (laughs) Amen? Liars and those who poisonously sting. We have been given the power by the Holy Spirit, holding the Word of God as our sword, to demolish strongholds. That's not only defensive, by the way, okay? That's hitting the enemy in the heart of his strength and demolishing it. You understand? If you've ever, I watch movies a lot, I'm sorry. Uh, you ever watch these old movies, Lord of the Rings, right? You ever seen that movie, right? The Two Towers, you guys remember that movie? When they retreat, they go to Helm's Deep, right? That's their stronghold. It's the last place they go to try and hold up. It's their stronghold. The enemy has strongholds like that. And they cannot stand against you when you are fully armored and wielding your weapon. Second mm. Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 6. I'm pretty sure, by the way, I've been reading this book on uh, ancient paganism, the sorcery of the fallen angels, interesting stuff. I think we may jump into um, a study on spiritual warfare, which is kind of really Ephesians chapter 6, everything we're talking about today. It, it's, it's the jumping off point, right? So... Uh, let's read this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse uh, 3 through 6. For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Verse 4. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds, we demolish arguments. I love that. Hmm. The word of God, with the word, sword of truth on your side, you can demolish any argument of false teaching or false doctrine. And every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and don't let that be lost on you, because a lot of times these false teachings, they, they're accompanied by arrogance. They're accompanied by arrogance. Oh, you haven't figured it out, right? It's, it's the old, it is, it's true. It's the old, it's the old um, root, Gnostic root. Gnostic means, in, in, that's where the Illuminati come from, right? They're the illuminated ones. Gnostic means knowledge. I have a secret knowledge that you do not have. And I'm pretty proud of it. And they're puffed up and they're, it's a, Paul draws a straight line to it because the Gnostics were very prevalent already at the time when he's writing this letter. And they were already trying to twist the scriptures at this time, right? And so verse 5, And every proud thing that is raised up against what? The knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive. Amen. Because why? We put on that helmet of salvation to obey Christ. Verse 6, And we are ready to punish any disobedience once your obedience is complete. How many in here know (laughs) <laughs> firsthand, firsthand, that the enemy is capable of setting up strongholds in our lives. Amen? I, I do. I do. How many fall victim to the cycle, fail, repent, repeat? 
fail, repent, repeat. Hmm? I'm telling you. How many in here know that there are some strongholds that the enemy has over this city, over this region? Spiritual, demonic things I'm talking about now. Poverty, drug addiction, legalism for that matter. You know, we, our first church uh, ministry, we were in northeast Arkansas, planted a church there, and we were there for three and a half years. And there was such a demonic presence of legalism that hung over that whole place, for real. And we fought the message of grace. We just pounded that message of grace, gospel of grace, because the legalism was so thick. When the Lord brought us back here, I was like, oh, he's bringing us to the city. I suppose he wants to round us out now. We're probably going to have to deal with a lot of lawlessness. There's just as much legalism here, I found, which was surprising to me. Plenty of lawlessness, don't get me wrong. But there is a lot of legalism, demonic strongholds here. Pride, arrogance, all of it. How many of you in here know that the devil is not happy about this little church being here? Saying these things, huh? Mm -mm -mm -mm. Point three. Give me point three and that will probably be the last one I can do for today. Part two of this series will be next week. I was actually thinking about taking it four weeks anyway, so I can't wait to see what the Holy Spirit's going to do with this, guys. I'm kind of excited about it. Point three, we're told to stand against the devil's schemes, and then I'm going to leave you a teaser, okay? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 said, Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. He is a schemer. You know that? He is a schemer. If you ever wonder whether or not you should associate yourself with somebody, let me just encourage you to wait and watch. Just wait and watch. Even if they're a good actor, it won't be long. You'll start seeing signs. You will. You'll start seeing signs. Do they manipulate people? Do they manipulate situations or circumstances? They will show you whose fruit they bear. Okay? What are some good ways that that liar, the devil, schemes against us? Well, we're going to expose him next week. <laughs> I'll leave you with this one quote as we call, uh, close, and I'll invite Leith to come up. Uh, Miyamoto Musashi. It's a household name, isn't he? Famous, famous, famous. You know what he's famous for? He is famous. He was known worldwide as the best swordsman ever. I mean, this guy, he was revered for his, his skill at, in battle with the sword. And he, and he wrote, he wrote of, uh, of uh, tactics of battle and whatnot. And he said this. This is his uh, most, famous, most famous quote that I think is a good point for us to leave on today. Know your enemy. Know his sword. Because guess what? Whether or not you're engaged in the battle and fighting against him, He's fighting against you. 
I used to have a t-shirt that said, Satan hates you, you know, just to remind everybody at the grocery store, you know. <laughs> people, normally pastors wear Jesus loves you, right? Well, I thought, Satan hates you. Just by the way, he hates you. He does. You know why? Because God loves you so much. He loves you so much. He's jealous of you. He's jealous of you. He wanted to usurp God. He wanted to usurp his authority, his position. And guess what? God looked on you and said, I love you. He created you for fellowship, created you for relationship. Hmm. And Satan, who was looking for authority and power, what did he do? He gave Adam authority and power. He hates you. So this is that we have an enemy in this world. We're seeing him move and shake right now. But you know what? When you see all this chaos in the world, I'm going to implore you this morning, hold your peace. Amen? Because if you don't, you'll swing wildly. You'll hurt those around you when, you, when, when God is asking you to be a, a source of stability for those around you. All right? Fight for that peace. All right? And we're going to jump into... Uh, uh, ways that we can expose the enemy and, and, and equip you for more warfare next week. So with that, with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're here this morning and the Lord is doing a work in your heart in whatever way it is, I, want to, I just want to push pause on everything and I want to give you a chance to lift it up before the throne of God, surrender it, lay it down at his feet, whether you're needing to uh, lay down uh, um, whether it's habits relationships or maybe you're in a place of discovering freedom this morning and you need to lay down that old way of thinking about yourself and embrace the way that God sees you through the lens and the filter of Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross and what he did when he rose from that tomb Whatever it is, no one's looking around. This is between you and your creator, your God, your father who loves you and me because I want to pray for you. That's it. Just raise your hand. You can put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. If you're here this morning and maybe you're realizing or you're watching online and maybe you're realizing I haven't even been believing in the right Jesus I thought I had to do all this stuff or I wouldn't get into heaven. Well, you know what? There's a, there is liberty for you today to become part of his family. And guess what? Once you're a part of his family, there's nothing you can do to get out of it. Some of you might feel that way about your families, but this is a good thing, okay? <laughs> if that's you, if that's you, whatever it is, raise your hand one more time. We're going to pray one more time right there. Amen. Amen. The angels rejoice in heaven every time one, one of his children come to a saving understanding of who he is, how he loves, and what he has done for us. So let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we lift up your church this morning, and we say thank you, God. Thank you with all of our hearts, Lord. Receive the prayers of your people this morning as they lift their hearts to you, as they surrender their will before your throne and ask that your will would be done in their lives as they pursue you, Lord, and, and, and press into your presence in their life, God. As they understand, Father, 
Maybe for the first time, they recognize that they are engaged in a spiritual struggle and that there is an adversary and an enemy that wants to destroy them and is jealous of them. Lord, equip your saints, Lord Jesus, that they would hold their peace, they would see things for what they are, and that they would take on the full armor of God and take up the sword of the Spirit, Lord Jesus, and that they would pray, God, and begin to pray as you would lead them. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Now let's say this out loud for those saying this prayer for the first time. Repeat after me, especially if you rose your hand that second time. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you love me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that the tomb was empty on the third day. And because you live, I live. Come into my heart. Make me new. Seal my heart. Lead me into the good works you have for me. And guard my mind and my my thinking, my understanding. Yes, Jesus. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, one more time, amen. Amen. We love you guys. May the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, pour out grace, prosperity. May you go and prosper in all you do. We'll see you next week, part two of the series. We love you. Have a good day.